I don't even remember what episode number this actually is. My name is Kyle. I'm one of your co-hosts. Twin Peeps is a show where me and usually my other host, Mike, talk about the show Twin Peaks, but this week, Mike is actually out in Las Vegas. So this week is going to be a uh, solo episode with yours truly. We're talking about season two, episode 13, titled Checkmate today. And I tell you guys, it is another not great episode. Uh, Coming off the heels of Black Widow from last week, just a horrendous Really awful episode. This one makes no notable improvements on literally anything. Um, and kind of a similar situation as last week. It's not something that I'm super jazzed to talk about all that often or all that much for very similar reasons. It's when an episode is this bad, right? It just doesn't seem like doesn't seem worthwhile to talk about, you know? Um, Because what can you say? Oh, this part of the episode is bad. This part of the episode is bad. This part of the episode is bad. How is it bad? Uh, It was bad for different ways. I mean, I guess that's the only real subject that you can talk about is how was it bad? But spoiler alert, it was all bad this episode. I guess I should get into it. Go with the summary here. Um, yeah, so let's, let's get started. I, I'll spare you guys SNL talk. And Matthew McConaughey was on this week and, uh, it was also not a great episode, man. It's kind of a bummer. Anywho, Twin Peaks summary for season two, episode 13. Let's do it. Garland has amnesia, save a giant owl. Ernie sets up the bye. Dick wants Nikki's records. Ed and Norma need to talk. Bobby bails on Shelly and Leo. James explains himself. Nadine can't help herself with Mike. Truman finds Josie as the Martell's maid. Audrey calls for Jerry Horn. Ed and Norma talk. Coop is an an honorary Twin Peaks deputy. Nadine saves Ed from Hank. Bobby talks to President Lincoln about surrendering. Catherine is in love with Ben, apparently. Evelyn wants James to stay. Cooper exchanges himself for Denise and Ernie. Evelyn and her brother are up to something. Denise, the Trojan waitress, helps Coop get Renault. Leo is awake when Earl makes his next move. Yeah. So that's the, uh, that's the summary there. If that's any indication not, I guess there are things that do happen, right? Like Ed and Norma actually being able to act on their feelings—that's a—that's a pretty big move. Um, Renault's plotline finally being resolved—that's a—that's—that's that's something. I don't know. It just feels like not a whole lot happens this episode. It feels very middling. I guess it's because it doesn't really like with Leo's being awake. That kind of seems like something that's a little bit new. But the only thing that really feels like happens in this episode is either treading water for certain plot lines, resolving certain plot lines, but not really putting forth anything new or not really like launching anything into any uh, really interesting direction from here. I don't know. Man, I really wish... <laughs> I think... Uh, I think Mike said it best that when when Leo was revealed to be uh, Bob, right? 
that would have been a great place to just end the series. You know, uh, I don't know. I was actually thinking, um, not that I have the uh, willpower to actually do this, but I feel as though all of the subsequent episodes from that reveal, you could probably take them, right? Take all the, uh, oh, what would that be? 16 episodes? Something like that. All the 16 episodes after it's revealed that uh, Ben is Bob, cut out, just trim the fat. There's so much fat to be trimmed. Just get rid of any any scenes with characters that didn't previously exist. Like, get rid of the Evelyn stuff. Get rid of the little Nikki stuff. Get rid of... Uh, oh, let's see. Maybe even the stuff with the mayor and his wife. I mean, some of that stuff is... is well, no, you could keep her in. She's fine. Um, but just really trim the fat. Really cut down on Nadine's whole thing. You could probably cut that all together in a very short sequence. Trim it down to like eight episodes, like, and make a third season out of that. Because the last, the last few episodes of season two, I know we haven't gotten there yet, and so it's kind of spoilerly, but um, they really are solid. They're solid episodes. They take the series in an interesting ways, um, in an interesting direction. They have things to say. Uh, David Lynch is back for them, so the tone is very much in line with the best of season one. But, God, there's just so much fluff in season two that really just drags down the series. But yeah, if you were to just cut out so much of that, I feel like you would have a very solid season three at the end of it. Um, so get on that. I guess, because I'm not going to do it. But be sure to give me the uh, the credit for thinking of the idea. Uh, anywho, let's let's go on to weirdest scene. The I had a hard time picking this one. Not many scenes in this episode were terribly strange. Um, the one that I ended up picking was actually the last scene with Shelley, where she's sitting alone at home and the power of the house keeps going on and off and the um the record player keeps spinning up and whirring down essentially and the, the thing about that scene is like except for kind of the very end when she's actually she's gotten up and she's looking for leo and she like pulls back the curtain and there's that chiming doll back there um and when the she goes into the kitchen and the wheelchair is empty, it's not. There's not a lot of like weird imagery, I guess. Um, it's just a very strange feeling that's given off by the power going on and off, and it, it feels very much in line with the series. And I kind of like. I kind of like the feeling of that scene. Um, And yeah, yeah, outside of uh, she who must not be named and James, and I'm I'm lumping James in with she who must not be named as far as just plot lines I don't want to talk about anymore. You know, they're they're really bad guys. Um, although I will, I do want to mention one thing about she who must not be named later. Yeah, uh, 
yeah, it. I think that was the quote-unquote weirdest scene, even though it wasn't all that weird. Yeah. I think that's also part of the, the fluff aspect of season two, right? It really spaces out the uh, more Twin Peaksy moments. As the show gets less and less focused, the tone also gets a little bit muddled. You know, it starts to move away from what made the show so good early on. But I guess it's just something that we're going to have to live with until the end of season two. And now the return of it on Showtime in 2017, which is kind of unfortunate because it was initially slated for 2016. And I got pushed back. But I, I have faith it'll be, it'll be a solid return. Uh, let's go on to Weirdest Character. I've talked enough about this. Um, I know that I don't really want to talk about James, <laughs> but ten, or closely related to James, I think I'm giving the Weirdest Character, similarly to Weirdest Scene, there's not a whole lot of like just very, very strange people. Obviously, there's Ben Horn, who's still going on the Civil War kick, but that's just a continuation of something that we've already seen him do in previous episodes so it feels a little bit uh, strange to give him the weirdest character quote-unquote especially since i've already given him that i know in previous episodes so I'll, I'll avoid doing that here um that said so for this episode my weirdest character i'm actually just going to give it to uh, evelyn's brother you see him for maybe like 10 15 seconds but in those 10 and 15 seconds he is the creepiest character in the episode starting first when he's just standing in the driveway of Evelyn Marsh's estate. Way down the, like, to set up the scene that I'm talking about, Evelyn and James are making out on Evelyn's husband's car that James newly fixed up. And the camera pulls out and pulls out and pulls out and just kind of dollies down the driveway, right? And eventually it kind of stops maybe 50 feet away and Evelyn's brother, or the man that we know to be Evelyn's brother, walks on the screen from the right, looks back at it, presumably his sister making out with this high school guy and kind of just like smiles to himself before walking away. And it's like, oh, that's a weird thing for a brother to do. And then later on, after his sister is just... <laughs> gone to the bone zone with James, he, she leaves the room and her quote unquote brother is there and they just kind of start making out. And that's also weird, especially for viewers. So yeah, I'm gonna, gonna give him weirdest character this up. And I hope that's all right. Cause it's my show this week. And no one can tell me not to. All right, bad but not David Lynch. Let's let's keep it going. I'm I'm already emotionally done with this episode, but man, I'm sorry that it's really putting a hindrance on the quality of Twin Peaks. You know, like that the quality of Twin Peaks is really taking a taking a hit to Twin Peeps. Um, I think next week, Mike is going to be doing his thing. I'm actually going to be out of town. We're swapping hosting duties, effectively. Um, but I believe he's going to have a guest next week. So that'll be, that'll be kind of fun. Um, but yeah, uh, bad but not David Lynch. I 
so much of this episode is bad. Just really bad. Um, but I think <laughs> one of the things that I, I took the most issue with is uh, Catherine in this episode, specifically Catherine with Ben. Um, midway through the episode, Catherine goes to the Great Northern, meets with Ben, kind of to presumably to kind of see what the hubbub is all about as far as his uh, uh, descent into madness with regards to the Civil War reenactment. Um, but when she gets there, she reveals to Ben and in turn the viewers that she's, uh, she still has feelings for him. She's still in love with him. And like, despite her best judgment, she's, she wants to be with him. But that scene just rings so false, you know, it's a twist that really hasn't been set up in the slightest. Um, we don't get any hints at this in early episodes we don't even even earlier this episode we don't get any hint at this um we see her kind of manipulate pete early on in season two when she comes back from the mill fire and yes that's mill space fire mike i know you're listening you jerk um but we don't yeah, she's manipulative, uh, like manipulative of Pete, but we don't kind of get the sense that she's has any lingering feelings towards Ben. I mean, she's she really screws him over, <laughs> you know. And it's not she doesn't have any sort of like romantic regret in that screwing over. She's literally just out there for self interest when she's doing that. You know, when she tricks him out of the Ghostwood Estates as Tajimura. Um, yeah, so when she comes into the office and Ben is this disheveled mess, he's still kind of talking in a little bit of a southern twang and she reveals that like despite her better judgment she still has these feelings for him it, as a viewer just like what no no this twist is so unearned it's just really ham-fisted it seems like a desperate attempt by the writers to like inject some sort of interest there but we kind of don't need it what really would have been better is if uh, after Audrey had called Jerry Horn, Jerry Horn just showed up. We don't need Catherine to show up. Just have Jerry Horn show up. Like Ben's, Ben's insanity is not about, like, it, Ben's insanity I don't think is really about how he interacts with other characters. It's more about how he's internalizing the events that are taking place around him, right? How he's coming to terms with uh, basically how far he's fallen. Um, and so maybe having him interact with the people that are closest to him, like having him interact with Audrey more or having him interact with Jerry, those would be good. But having him, having Catherine just show up, someone he had an affair with a while back, um, and having her say, oh, I'm still in love with you, Ben, it just feels so false. And it's not great, man. And if someone does do a, a truncated season three kind of thing, this would 100% be cut. It's just a really bad scene. And even thinking ahead, I'm not even sure if that turn of events is really acted upon 
much in later episodes. I could be wrong. It's been a while since I last watched the series, but man, yeah, it, it just has no place being here. And, and yeah, I, I'm done talking about that. Let's go on to worst police work because, ah, oh, Jesus, this is also a really bad segment. God damn it. Checkmate, what are you doing to me? It's just a really, really bad episode, man. All right. Worst place work. Uh, I, th I think it's pretty obvious what this one is. Um, I mean, you could give it, you give it to two things. I'm gonna give it to one of them, but uh, I think the one of the contenders, right, is Cooper so immediately giving himself up as a hostage. You know, uh, the <laughs> it's actually something that David Duchovny himself will do later on in an X-Files episode. But um, yeah, at the at the sting for Jean Renault, right? Uh, Denise, who's dressed up as Dennis and Ernie, are trying to go through the the buy, but it goes south when Renault discovers the wire that they've placed on Ernie. And so Renault and his Canuck compatriot grab the two of them and hold them hostage. And like immediately, maybe not 20 seconds later, Coop is already saying, hey, I'll trade you those hostages for myself, which Jean Renault agrees to. Um, I feel like that's that's a that should be a last ditch effort, right? I don't know. I I don't feel as strongly about that as I do the uh, the next bit of bad police work, which is actually uh, still involves the sting, and that's when Coop is the hostage, right? And the state police have all surrounded the cabin, or at a dead dog, I think. Um, they surrounded the house. And Renault and the blonde guy there are kind of talking over what their plans are. And they're kind of deliberating between whether or not to kill Cooper before turning themselves in, which if they do, they'd basically be signing their own death warrants. Um, but before they can really act on that, <laughs> they notice Denise, not Dennis, she's, she's back to being Denise, walking up in an R&R diner uniform, carrying a tray of presumably food up to the door. And they open, <laughs> they open the door to let her inside because they think it's some sort of peace offering from the police, which is not a thing that happens. It would be one, uh, God damn it. I guess that that would have been easier to explain if that was a demand of theirs if they had shown earlier on Jean Renault making a demand of the police like hey the standoff is going on for a long time we want food and maybe they did you know and it's just not a scene that they showed the viewer but that really would have helped contextualize and uh, explain why Denise is up there and why she wasn't just immediately shot. Um, but instead, apropos of nothing, 
you have Denise in an R and R waitress's uniform walk up to the door, knock on the door, they let her in, and she <laughs> she's holding the tray, and as she's talking to Jean and the other Canadian, she lifts up her skirt, revealing like the out of the uh, what are they called? Not stockings. Maybe stockings? I guess. I don't know. Um, she lifts up her skirt kind of like seductively, which is also very suspect in a hostage negotiation. Like Jean Renault should have sniffed out that, oh, this is not right and weird. And also this woman looks very similar to a man that I just was holding hostage not a few hours ago. Um, but she lifts up her skirt not only to entice Jean Renault, but also to reveal a pistol that she has hidden on the back of one of her thighs, which Coop sees, grabs, and fires at Jean Renault. Denise takes out the blonde Canadian, and they bust up the hostage situation. So, like many of our worst place work contenders, this plan goes off without hitch, right? Inexplicably. But in the real world, this would this would not only not work, it would aggressively not work. It would probably be grounds for dismissal for Harry Truman because Denise would be dead. Coop would be dead. Um, and whoever's idea it was to do something so obviously un ineffective their head would be on the chopping block. Ah, God, it's just really bad, guys. It's it's so bad. It's such a bad episode. And there's no mystery bit this week. I I couldn't be bothered to think of one. Um, best music cue. Let's do that. There's not nothing new, really. I mean, I guess I do like the the sound design in Shelley's scene with the starting and stopping. Uh, record player, but as far as an actual new music cue, really the only thing that we hear is the uh, fife and drum theme underneath Ben's Civil War reenactment, which is all right, you know, and it's pretty uh, pretty standard, but yeah, I don't know, it's worth mentioning. Uh, let's see. Uh, favorite scene, I guess. Let's go on to that. Dennis's reveal, I liked. I I think that's kind of like my... Oh, boy. Of all the scenes, and maybe even... Uh, not the initial scene when Garland is on this weird stone throne. Oh, yeah, by the way, Garland Briggs is in this episode. Um, for about two minutes, that's it. But yeah, at the beginning, he's we get this shot of space, right? And there's this really bad graphic of like kind of like the radiation symbol for some reason. Um, and then it goes to Garland Briggs sitting on this like stone throne that's covered in all of these plants and whatnot, and he's kind of recounting what little he can remember of his time away. But then it's revealed that that throne is uh, figurative. It's not a literal 
he's not actually sitting in it. He's actually just sitting in the police station. And when it cuts to the police station, that's more what I'm talking about. I think the the his acting there is is good. Yeah, it's very solid acting on the actor's part. Um, but as far as a scene that I liked all of the way through, I think it's I think it is the. Um, the sting preparation scene. It's the scene where Ernie is talking, uh, like Hawk is prepping Ernie for the wire. Ernie is recounting his time in the Korean War. Um, Truman gives Coop the honorary deputy badge, which is always a cute moment. Um, <laughs> but the part that I like the most about the scene and Mike may have differing opinions about this because I feel like we have kind of differing opinions about how the show handles Denise. But I do like when she comes in as Dennis and that's the joke, right? It's So it's a joke, right? It's meant for laughs. And not that it's a, a great joke by any means. Maybe it got, you know, a couple chuckles here and there. But it's a way... <laughs> It's also a fun way that they help normalize Denise's womanhood, I guess. Um, because initially when it, she was revealed, right, there were a few jokes made kind of at her expense about her being a woman, right? Being a trans woman, I should say. Or a transvestite, it's very hard to tell. Or I shouldn't say transvestite. I don't think that's the politically correct term. Crossdresser, maybe. Someone who is sexually identified as a man, like they self-identify as a man, but they just wear women's clothing, you know, Ed Wood style. But I think, especially with her insistence on being called Denise, I think that it... More than that, I think she's a trans woman where... It's not simply the wearing of women's clothes. I think she sexually identifies, not sex, well, yeah. She identifies her gender as a woman. And there are jokes made at that, at her expense because of that. Whereas here, it kind of flips that. The joke being that, oh, we understand her as a woman now. And now she's a man. And isn't that funny? And not that it really is all that much, but by virtue of that being the joke, I feel like it does kind of, yeah, normalize in our minds that, oh yeah, Denise is a woman. And now that she's Dennis for this scene, it's unusual for us. We're not accustomed to seeing her as Dennis. Because she's not Dennis, she's Denise. And I thought that was kind of a cute moment. It really sucks that that moment is 100% undercut by her <laughs> her being Denise, bringing the food to Jean and the Canadian in the standoff, and her womanhood also being, or again, being the joke here. Um, but for that brief fleeting moment, midway through the episode... It wasn't, and it was pretty nice, you know? Um, at least in my opinion. I could easily see that going a different way, but uh, 
yeah, I, I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was all right. But with that, uh, I guess, I guess I should go on to a favorite character. Yeah. God, I don't even know, man. I really don't know. There are not a lot of great characters in this, or like, I mean, there are great characters in the series, but not a lot of them get to do much. Um, no one really stands out. Like Audrey has a couple of nice moments when she's sort of dealing with her father and it's kind of heartbreaking to have her be confronted with this insanity going on. Like she's really, you know, she kind of calls Jerry out of desperation, but, and you can tell that she's very frustrated with her dad, um, like frustrated and concerned and confused and all of these things, but she handles it like a champ, you know, um, she kind of keeps it, keeps her composure, keeps it together and, you know, does what she can, I guess, or what, she, what she thinks she can do by, you know, bringing in Jerry Horn. Um, but she's just, she's not in the episode very much beyond that. Um, Coops, all right, I guess. He doesn't have a lot of uh, strong Cooper moments. He doesn't, he's not, uh, I, don't, I don't even know. Ed's all right, too. He, he gets a little bit more screen time this episode when he's he wants to talk to Norma about stuff. Um, man, I you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to give it to Cooper this episode. No one else really deserves it. Maybe Garland, just because of the performance of the actor. But I'm, I'm just going to give it to Coop, guys. I'm sorry. This is, this is just not a great ep this week. Um, and by default, Cooper is still kind of the coolest. And, yeah. Ugh. Okay. But, this will this will be interesting, I guess. Who do we care about, or who do I care about? I suppose now at this point, um, Garland Briggs. Yeah, I'm still on board for that. Um, he kind of hints at some stuff that they're going to get into, stuff regarding the White Lodge and uh, his research into the paranormal that happens here in Twin Peaks regarding something below ground, which is kind of an interesting, uh, interesting twist on uh, paranormal and extraterrestrial investigation. Um, so yeah, Garland Briggs, uh, Dick and Andy, don't care. Yep, sorry, just don't. Uh, Ed and Nadine, I'm on board for. Bobby and Shelley, I don't care what my cast is say. I'm interested in that. I would, like, I forgot how much their relationship kind of falls apart here. Um, it kind of explains some stuff that happens later on in the series, which fans of the series will know what I'm talking about, I think. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to kind of see that happening. And now that Leo is 
awake. That's going to throw in a, a, an interesting wrench, I think. Uh, James is, yeah, I don't need to really say it, but James don't care about. Nadine, I don't care about. Um, like Nadine and Mike, if you take her as a separate entity. Sorry, she who must not be named. She must not be named along with Mike. If you take those as a separate entity, don't care about them. If you lump them in with Ed and Norma, maybe, but I kind of think of them as their own thing at this point. Um, Truman and Josie, nope. Uh, Audrey, I care about. Audrey plus Ben, I think, I care about as well. Um, Catherine and Ben, nope. Not into it. Uh, the whole Renault thing is done now, so I, I guess I don't have to really care about it. I think that's really the last connection to One-Eyed Jacks that we have. Um, so that that kind of brings an end to that plot line, which is probably for the best. Um, yeah, so I, we don't we don't really have to care about Renault now. Uh, Windmurl being back and being threatening that I'm into, you know, actually having escalating the chess game to something a little bit more, uh, high stakes, I think was a good move on the show's part. And so with the last scene, when they, uh, when Koof comes into the police station, he finds that drifter's body and a chess board with the chess moves on it. Um, I think that was, that was a, at least an interesting visual, if nothing else. And, you know, it makes it a little bit more enticing. It's kind of a hook to draw you more into that plot line here. Um, so I'll go ahead and say that, yeah, Coop with Windemerle, that's definitely a plot line that I care about. Um, that's really all that there is in this episode as far as plot lines. I mean, yeah, there's like the mayor's wife and uh, all that, but... They're not really in it that often. They're like Donna's in it for five seconds tops. It's very strange. It's weird how little they're giving Lara Flynn Boyle in these episodes. But what can you do? And yeah, uh, I guess I just want to go through maybe a couple of notes here. Uh, hmm. uh, you know... Actually, no, none of these are, are that interesting. I think the one thing <laughs> one thing that bothered me the most was midway through the episode when uh, Andy and Dick are looking for Nikki's file at the, um, I think, yeah, at, at the agency that Nikki's from. Um, they... <laughs> Dick Tremaine is like rattling off. He, he finds the file cabinet and he's rattling off names in his head and he's like flipping through names. And what what's really dumb is he's flipping through the ends, right? N, 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 N name, N name, N name, N name. And then he finds Nikki. But someone in the writer's room really should have caught this. That's not how alphabetizing works you don't alphabetize by first name you alphabetize by last name so unless his name is alliterative Nikki would not be in the ends <sighs> I don't know guys 
as much as I'm checking out of this episode, it really feels like the writers checked out of this show in these middle episodes. And I don't blame them because this is a, this is the David Lynch drought here, but man, it makes going through it really a slog. I know I said that there are parts in these episodes that I thought were all right. And I think there might be, I really hope there are, but I could just be misremembering them and they're all like backloaded. I, I hope, I hope to God they're not because otherwise these next few episodes are going to be real tough. It'll be nice when Mike is back and we can actually, you know, shoot the shit about other things and about the show, but mostly about other things like SNL and whatnot. Uh, but for now, God, it's it's just really bad, guys. Really, really, really bad. And I think I need to sign out at this point. Sign off? Whatever. I'm I'm just I'm done. All right, guys. Uh, peep on twin in. I will hopefully be in a better mood next week, <laughs> and it won't just be forty minutes of some guy complaining about a TV show because obviously that's not the most fun thing. And yeah, peep on twin in. I'll I'll not see you next week because it's gonna be Mike and mystery guest. But uh, yeah, the week after to be back in full effect i'll have watched that other episode in the interim and um yeah it'll be hopefully back on track hopefully by episode 15 of the series it will start uh, picking back up again and yeah i will peep you in two weeks later